If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 5. We're going to be reading in verse 30. John 5, beginning in verse 30. We're going to read through verse 47. If I haven't met you, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And I have uh, this great privilege to preach God's Word to you today. John 5, verse 30. Of course, we believe these things were recorded by the Gospel writer John, but he's writing them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And so therefore these words come to us today with authority, the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were teaching. So let's hear together the word of Christ. John 5, beginning in verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in its light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me, he himself has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one that he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but... I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For you've believed, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is Easter, this day when everybody stops to think about Jesus who he was, what did he come to do, what was he like. Now it's interesting, the world's opinion of Jesus has been changing, particularly changing in recent years. Gallup released a poll uh, maybe about a week ago that said for the first time in American history, church attendance or church membership or church attendance has dropped below 50%. First time in American history. Now what's so interesting about this is the steep decline of the past 20 years. I think we have a picture up there. 
If you noticed from about 1940 when they started measuring this until uh, the year 2000, the church attendance in America was about 70%, including synagogue and other houses of worship in this, about 70% of the population. But just in these past 20, 21 years, church attendance has dropped from around 70% to 47%. Now, there's a lot to think about this. What does this mean? One of the questions that we should be asking is, will this decline continue? And the answer is, probably yes. If, if Jesus is just a part of your family heritage, if church membership is something that you just do for kind of a good social standing, or if going to church is something you do to find a sense of community, chances are in the next 10, 20 years, you'll drop off. You'll be some of the next wave that drops off. I mean, the truth is, is Jesus doesn't really give you, especially in a secular city like Atlanta, Jesus, being a part of a church, doesn't really give you any social credibility. In fact, it's more likely to hurt your credibility in the marketplace. The truth is, is you don't really need the church to give you a social outlet anymore. There's so many social outlets. There's so many third spaces. There's so many clubs that you can join. There's boutique gyms, and there's all these things that you can be a part of. And if it's part of your family tradition, again, chances are that's not going to be enough to hold you as time goes on and as the world continues to grow in secularity. But if there was a resurrection, if Jesus is really the Lord, if God has really visited us in Christ. And we can really know God through Christ and have hope for God in Christ. Now that's different. That changes you. That gives you a whole different kind of hope. That gives, you, that gives us a whole different kind of community here. That gives you a whole different kind of identity. So we've come today to ask the question of Jesus. Who is he? Is he really Lord? Was he really raised? Is he really who he says he is? Or is he just something kind of nice that we talk about one day a year in the spring? If you've been with us over the last couple of messages on Good Friday and then last Sunday, Palm Sunday, we've been in John chapter 5. And John chapter 5 is a very fascinating part of Scripture. It begins, as we looked at last week, with this man who's been an invalid for 38 years, being healed miraculously. He's been waiting by the pool of Bethesda, trying to get in, trying to find some healing. And Jesus comes up to him and in a moment, miraculously says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And the man does. The man is healed 38 years. He's an invalid and he gets up. And yet all the Pharisees can see when this man who's been an invalid for 38 years is healed, is that he's breaking the Sabbath day. He's carrying his mat on the Sabbath, which no one should do. He should have known better. And so they get mad at the man and they get mad at Jesus. And the passage of Scripture that we read today is Jesus' response to the Pharisees. And what he is telling them, and I want you to hear this, what he is telling them is you're totally missing it. You've searched the Scriptures. You you say you would say that you're trusting in this coming Messiah, this hope of Israel. 
yet he's standing right in front of you and you're totally missing it, what Jesus is doing here. And I would say, even though it doesn't sound very gracious, he's graciously doing it to these Pharisees. He's trying to help them see. He's trying to help them see that he really is the answer, that he really is the Messiah. And, and I, with this passage today, would make the same appeal to you. There is evidence to believe that Jesus is not just a social thing or a good standing thing or a community thing, but He's actually God. And that you through Him can know God and have hope in God and be changed by, through a relationship with God and Jesus. So what Jesus does in the Old Testament law a truth or a fact had to be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. I think I have an example here um, from Deuteronomy, but there's several examples. This is a theme throughout the Old Testament. A fact can't just be established by one witness. You, you, you have to have at least two or three witnesses that corroborate one another's stories. And in fact, Jesus kind of says this here, uh, he kind of gives proof to this. Look at um, verse 31. He says, if I alone bear witness, right? If there's just one witness, my testimony is not true. But if there was two or three witnesses, that's a different story. And so what Jesus does here is he actually gives three witnesses. <laughs> he speaks to three witnesses, to three testimonies, to three things that testify about him. They spoke to these Pharisees, and I believe this. I want you to stay. I think they'll speak to you too. Three witnesses. Listen to their voices and what they have to say about this Jesus. So the first witness is John the Baptist. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, there is another. There's another witness who bears witness about me. And I know the testimony that he bears is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Now the testimony that I receive, if, I, if the testimony that I receive, not that the testimony, rather, that I receive is from man, but I say these things, that you may be saved. He was a light and a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John the Baptist, he was very well respected. He was known. People listened to his preaching. What Jesus is saying here is what John was really talking about is me. John bears witness to me, and we know this. All throughout John's life, he bore witness to Jesus. Even before John was born, he bore witness to Jesus. Remember the story when Mary, the mother of Jesus, when she's pregnant with Jesus, goes to visit Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Both babies are still in the wombs of their mother, and John the Baptist in his mother's womb hears the voice of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And what does the Bible say? It says that the baby left within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. From birth, John was bearing witness about Jesus before he was born. Remember what John says in, uh, John the Baptist says, it's recorded in John 1.26 when he sees Jesus coming to be baptized. He says, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who's here to take away the sins of the whole world. What about what John says of Jesus in Luke 3.16? He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I am is coming, Jesus the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And all of this, John is reiterating what we read in John 3.20, what John the Baptist says there, I must decrease. He must increase. Jesus is appealing here to the testimony. Let me, here's the first witness. 
that Jesus is bringing out, John the Baptist. What he was trying to tell you is that I am the Messiah. Will you listen to his voice? Now, I know for some of you, you're thinking, okay, well, that's interesting, but I don't know John the Baptist. What is that to me? What does that mean to me? And I think a way to apply this, what I would say to you, is consider a Christian. Consider one like John the Baptist who knew the Lord, who followed the way of Jesus. Consider a Christian. What will they tell you about Jesus? You know, really the reason that I was introduced to Christ is through my dad, through watching my dad, listening to my dad, sure, but just just watching my dad. You know, a, a lot of preacher's kids, you've kind of heard this, rebel. I, I'm certainly, there's a lot of stuff in my life that I'm not proud of. Some of you have known me a long time. You say, you better watch out here, Jason. But I, I, I never had a season of rebellion against the Lord. And I never tried to rebel against my dad because I love my dad. My dad loved the Lord. And it was great for me to watch. He just loved the Lord. He loved his word. He just enjoyed his relationship with the Lord. I could see it in him. He would always talk about the Lord with me. I have so many of these great memories, just being a little boy. I remember fishing with my dad, and um, we'd be out fishing. We went to this little pond, Mr. Garrison. That's where we always went. It was a stocked pond, a great place for a little boy to go fish. And we'd be out there, and the sun would start to set, And my dad, this is a classic John Dee's line, he would say, hey, look at that sun. You know that that's 93 million miles away from the earth, Jason? And God put it there. And if you know Jesus, you can know God. That left a big impression on me. I remember this one time we were at the beach. We're heading to the beach today, actually. And I'm so excited. It's spring break at the Dee's house. We're heading down to the beach and... I remember being at the beach with my dad when I was a kid, probably there at Gulf Shores, Alabama. And I was sitting out there with my dad, and there was a seagull. And he said, Jason, you know what eternity is? He said, imagine this. Imagine if this seagull, that seagull flew down here and got a little beak full of sand and flew for 10,000 years out into space and then dropped the beak full of sand and then flew back for 10,000 years and grabbed another beak full of sand and flew for 10,000 years out into space and dropped the beak full of sand into the abyss and then flew back for 10,000 years and got another beak full. And this seagull did this until the whole world was gone. I'm sitting there on this huge beach of sand just thinking, oh my gosh. And my dad said, that'd be like 10 minutes of eternity. And I'm thinking, man, I... It's a long time. <laughs> I need to figure this thing out. No, it's the te- this, is, this is the testimony of John. It's the testimony of someone who's following the Lord. Consider a Christian. It wasn't just my dad. I had my mom loved the Lord. I had all these friends. I was a part of a great church. You know, who, you know who does this for me right now? You know who's doing this for me right now? Who's giving me the testimony of John? It's all of you. I love being a part of this church. We need one another. When I see you come and worship, when we get together, when I hear what God's doing in your life, when I hear how the Lord is so real to you, you know what it does for me? It's the testimony of John. It strengthens my faith. 
I believe all the more that Jesus is Lord, that he really is the Messiah, that I can center my life on him, my faith grows. We need this, you need this, I need this. Now I wanna say this, the testimony of John isn't perfect. Christians are gonna fail you. <laughs> They're gonna mess up. They're gonna embarrass themselves. They're even gonna embarrass the Lord. Even my dad, as great as he is, when I was a senior in high school, ended up falling into temptation and had an affair. He was a pastor, and it brought great disappointment and embarrassment to our family, to the church. He was, he was rightly fired from that church. It embarrassed his Lord. What were, I'm sure that people's faith was shaken in that, but I got to watch him in that. And you know what he did? You know what I got to watch my dad do? After the whole world was he embarrassed himself in front of everybody. I watched him repent and turn back to the very Jesus that he had sinned against, the very Jesus that he embarrassed. And I remember thinking to myself as an 18-year-old kid, man, if Jesus is like that, if I can turn to Jesus when I've done the worst thing that I've ever done, I want to believe in Jesus. I want a Jesus like that. It's the testimony of John. So if you're not a Christian here today, this is the first appeal. Consider the life of someone who is. And if you are a Christian, remember this. <laughs> remember that your life is a witness. Yeah, you know, I think all of this is kind of wrapped up in what the gospel writer John says about John the Baptist. He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He just came as a witness, a witness about the light that people may believe through him. And then verse 8, he was not the light. Don't get confused. <laughs> Don't get confused. The Christian that you're following, that you're looking to, or the pastor that you're listening to, they're not the light. They're just there to bear witness about the light. I must decrease. He must increase. But there's... There's more than just the testimony of John. The second witness that Jesus appeals to, and even says it's greater than John, it's the witness or it's the testimony of his own works. Look at verse 36. He says, The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, are you blind? Do you not see what's going on here? Do you not see the works that I am doing? These are the very works that the Father said I would do. Jesus is turning water into wine. He's healing the sick. He's raising this man who was lame or was an invalid for 38 years. Jesus is saying, do you not see the works? They're witnesses about me. They're witnesses that I really am the Messiah. These are the things that God said the Messiah would do. Isaiah 61, very famous messianic prophecy, says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is about the Messiah because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Then when Jesus comes, what does he do? He goes to his hometown synagogue. He opens the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now he does something interesting in here. He says, and recovery of sight to the blind. And then he goes back to set at liberty those who are oppressed to claim to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you notice this, and maybe you didn't, and it's okay if you didn't, recovery of sight to the blind is not in Isaiah 61. It's actually in Isaiah 35 or maybe Isaiah 42. What Jesus is doing here is he's saying all of these prophecies, they're all fulfilled in me. Remember, he rolled up the scroll, he gave it to the attendant, he said, today, all of this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then what did Jesus go out and do? He started proclaiming. He started healing. He started giving sight to the blind. He started doing all of the things that the Messiah was supposed to do. This is what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees. Don't you see? Are you, are you ignoring the signs? These are the signs that Messiah has come. A few chapters later in Luke 7, when John the Baptist, I mean, John the Baptist, this great man of faith, this man that, that everyone feared. Jesus said there's nobody better than him that's born among women. He started to doubt like we all do. He started to have trouble in his faith. And so he sent a messenger to Jesus and said, are you really the Messiah? And you know what Jesus said back to him? You know what Jesus did, said to John the Baptist? He quoted the prophets. He said, Tell John what's happening. The blind are receiving sight. The good news, the, 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 those in our captives are being having liberty proclaimed to them. The year of the Lord's favor is being pronounced. Yes, I'm the Messiah. I'm doing the signs. Now, for us today, as I said last week, all of the signs of Jesus ultimately are there to point out who he was and to point us to the sign. Uh, as I said last week, all of the signs are really signposts that point you along to the sign that Jesus came to give, the ultimate sign, the sign of the resurrection, the sign that Jesus has overcome even death. And so today I would say to you, as you consider Jesus, consider the sign. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that he's overcome death? Do you believe that this is true? Has this really happened? Now, there's a lot of Easter sermons where guys have given evidence that we should consider the resurrection has happened. And that's not really my full point today, but I do just want to give you a few things to think about. If you're interested in really going deep on this, the best book I know is by N.T. Wright. It's called The Resurrection of the Son of God, and it's massive, and he just gives all of these evidences that... that I'll say this, if there was no resurrection, are very, very hard to explain. Let me just give you a couple. The first interesting thing is the survival of this movement, this Jesus movement. Now, you may not know this, but around the time of Jesus, there were many messianic figures. Every few years, there was somebody coming up and doing something special and claiming to be the Messiah and claiming that he had the authority to free Israel from the Romans. And they would gain a following. In fact, I think Jesus is talking about this. Uh, look with me uh, real quick at verse 43. 
He says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you do receive him. What's he talking about here? He's talking about these other figures. There were all these other figures and the the influential people listened to them. They followed them. One example, Judah, uh, uh, Simon Bar Kokhba. Judah Maccabeus is an example, but Simon Bar Kokhba, he was a messianic figure and all of the people started listening to him and he began teaching the new kingdom and, and people believed in him and people started following him. In fact, at one point they started printing money with his image on it. The Jewish people said, this new kingdom has come. And, and you know what, they, what year they printed on the money? Year one. And then the second year they printed year two. And then the third year they printed year three. But there's no year four. You know why? Because the Romans killed him. Same thing that happened to Jesus. The Romans took him and killed him. They put Simon Bar Kokhba to death. And you know what? The movement dissipated. Never heard from it again. Even though there was all of this clamor and all these influential people were following him. Here Jesus comes. He doesn't have any influential people following him. It's just a bunch of poor fishermen. And yet, after the Romans killed him, the whole world has been changed. Who of you knows about Simon Bar Kokhba? What happened? Why? How did this movement survive? You tell me. Second interesting thing, the Christian funeral. After the resurrection of Jesus, funerals changed. Christians alone, when, when, and we still do this to this day, when we bury someone, what do we do? We, 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 we have a funeral service. We bury the body. And it's a sign that we are dead, our soul and spirit have been separated. We will rest for a time, but one day at the end of all things, we will rise. We'll physically rise to meet the Lord. No one else believes this. Yet, universally, all over the Christian world, they would celebrate and believe in and look to the resurrection of the body. Why is that? Where had they seen that? Why would people believe that? Now, modern people will say, well, we know better now. We know that bodies don't rise. I'm going to tell you, don't be a snob. They knew that too. <laughs> they had looked at dead bodies. They, they understood dead bodies don't just get up. They know what happened when people died. But yet, all of a sudden, universally, there was this hope that the body would rise just as Christ had risen. How do you explain that? Number three, this one's interesting, the, the widespread and public nature of the documents about the Lord. Blake just read this passage. I didn't even know he was going to read it this morning, but I'm glad he did. 1 Corinthians. You know when 1 Corinthians was written? It was written about 20 years after the resurrection. 20 years. And what is Paul doing in it? He's saying, Jesus has been raised. He appeared to 500 people. Go and talk to them. He's actually appealing to eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. How could he have done this? How could he have done this if there was no resurrection? You know, if something that happened 20 years ago, if you started going around and saying that it didn't happen, like if you said, man, there was no attack on September 11th, 2001, you know what happened? You'd never get a hearing. People would say, you're crazy. 
I know that there was. Some of you may have been in New York at the time. Some of us have, were, had gone to New York before September 11, 2001, and we saw the World Trade Center, and we've gone to New York after 2001, and we saw that the World Trade Center is no longer there. We, 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 we are witnesses to this. You couldn't just go around and share this story. So how are these documents being so farly believed and so widespread and so much passed around if they were about things in the time of eyewitnesses that were not so? They never would have gotten off the ground. And the last one, and this is a very famous one, is that these disciples, <laughs> I mean, all throughout, just read the Gospels, all throughout the ministry of Jesus, the disciples are faithless, they're fearful, they don't believe. None of them were there at the crucifixion except for John. And yet, something happens, and all of them are so bold, they're willing to go anywhere, they're willing to do anything, they're willing to give their very lives. What happened? You tell me. There's been a sign the sign, the resurrection, and it bears witness about who Jesus is. You can ignore the testimony of John, but can you ignore this sign? But Jesus says, if that wasn't enough, if my signs weren't enough, there's a third witness. And the third witness, and this is fascinating, the third witness, he says, is my father. Now look how he does this. He says, um, all right, he says here, the Scriptures testify about me. My Father testifies through the Scriptures about me. Now, you may think that the Bible is a book written by a bunch of humans about God, but that's not quite how Jesus talks about the Bible. Look at verse 37. It says, the Father who sent me, the Father, God the Father, has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you, have not, and you do not have His Word abiding in you, for you do not believe the One whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. This is Jesus appealing to the testimony of the Father through the Scriptures. You may say, who's the third witness? Is it the Father or the Scriptures? Well, it's both. It's the, it's the Father speaking through the Scriptures. What are you saying? You should have seen this. I am the one that the Father was talking about. Open your eyes to this. How could you not see this? How could you be so blind? This is, it's almost awkward to read this because these Pharisees had given their whole life to studying the Scripture and memorizing the Scripture and worshiping God. And here Jesus comes to them and says, you don't know the Bible and the love of God does not abide in you. Now, I want to say this to you. That is a passage that should haunt us. It means that there is a way to read the Bible every day. It means that there is a way to worship, to come to church on Easter. It means that there is a way to be a member of a church and to even go to a community group where you talk about the Bible and not know the Lord and not have God abiding in you and miss the whole point. This should haunt us. So how do you know? 
<laughs> How do you know? How do you know that we're not missing it? And I think here's the answer. How do you read the Bible? How do you worship? What is your life centered on? Do you read the Bible as if it's all about you? I need a nice little lesson for the day. Something to help me get through. Some good practical wisdom to help me make better decisions, to help me do a little better. Bible will give me wisdom. I'll, do, I'll make better business deals. I'll be better at relationships. I'll get more wisdom. I'll do these things. Do you worship for that reason? I've worshiped. I've done something good. Do you serve for that reason? Jesus is saying to you, the love of the Father is not in you. When you're like that, I'm sure you feel good about yourself. You congratulate yourself, right? I've gotten all this wisdom. I've done these good things. You, you congratulate yourself. This is exactly what he says to the Pharisees. How will you receive glory from God when you're just giving glory to one another, when you're giving glory to yourself? You search the Scriptures, but you've missed the point. The Scriptures testify about me, he says. I am the answer. I am what you are looking for. I am what you should have seen. The Scriptures testify about me. Have you seen it? How do you read the Bible? How do you live your life? Is your life finding its resolve in Jesus or in something else? When you read the Scripture, do you see Him? Do you see how victorious He is? Do you see how much better He is? Do you see how your hope is in Him? When you read the story of Adam and Eve, and you consider Adam, who was in the garden, and God said to Adam, listen, I'm going to test you. I want you to obey me. Obey me about this tree, and if you do, you'll live. How many of us have, like Adam, disobeyed the voice of God? And like him, the Bible says that we should die, but there's a true there's a truer and a better Adam who when he was in the garden and God said to him, obey me about the tree, he did obey the Father. He said, yes, your will be done, even though it meant that he was going to die. The Scriptures bear witness about Jesus. How many of you have read the story of Cain and Abel and seen that Cain, because he wanted to be great, suppressed his little brother he put him to death so that he could be exalted. And how many of us have done the same thing, that we've suppressed those around us so that we could be seen, but we have a true and better Cain, not the older brother that suppresses us, but the one who took on our sins himself, that, that was stricken himself, that was crushed himself, so that we and him could be exalted. Did you see that these things find their yes in Jesus? Have you, have you read the story about Noah, who through his obedience, all the world was saved? And, and, and Noah's family, all they had to do was just get on the boat. They didn't build the boat. They didn't obey, but they were friends with Noah. And because they knew Noah, they were saved from judgment. And don't you see that we in Christ have an even better Noah who has saved us if we know him, not because of our obedience, but because of his obedience. He has saved us from 
from judgment. He has given us life and invited us into a new creation. Have you read the story of Abraham who God said to him, leave your homeland and go to this place and I will bless you and I will make the whole world, I will bless the whole world through you. Don't you see that there's a better Abraham who left his homeland, the very throne of God and came to identify with us to bring a blessing to all who would look to him in faith. Have you read the story of Isaac, the son who obediently, when God told Abraham to sacrifice the son of the promise, followed his father up the mountain and obediently was willing to be sacrificed? Don't you know that there's a better Isaac who actually went up the hill, the hill of death, the hill of judgment, and was sacrificed in our place so that by his wounds we could be healed? Don't you know the story of Joseph who by his own family, his own people, his own brothers was all but killed killed and sold into slavery and put away, but through that, God actually gave him this great name where he became a ruler among the nations. Don't you see that there is a better Joseph who has been put to death by his own people, and yet now God has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, not just the brothers of Joseph, but everyone, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. Don't you see? The Bible's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's, it's not about you. It's not about me. If, if, as long as it's about you, this is what Jesus is saying. You're blind. Your life will never find its resolve. Don't you see? And I would say this to you. All of life, not just the Scriptures, all of life finds its yes and amen in Jesus. What do you want? You want justice? You may be looking to justice. This is my righteousness. This is going to resolve me. How's your righteousness working out for you? But Jesus is the king of justice. He's perfectly righteous. You want truth? How do you discern truth? Guess what? Jesus is truth. He's the Lord of truth. You want compassion and mercy? Jesus is perfectly righteous and just, and yet simultaneously perfectly merciful and compassionate. You want love? What greater love is this? That God would give Jesus to live a righteous life on our behalf and then to take on the record of our sin and die in our place, to take on the justice of God in our place, and then on the third day to be raised from the grave and to, to appear to many and to ascend to the right hand of the Father from, from where right now He is preparing an eternal home, an eternal kingdom for all who look to Him, and from where He has sent His Holy Spirit who calls us who turns our blind hearts and our blind eyes toward Jesus. And I believe that the Spirit even now is calling some of you. Look to Him. Look to Jesus. He is the resolve. He is the answer. The Scriptures testify about Him. All of life testifies about Him. He is the answer that you have been looking for. Don't miss it. You know, this story ends in a really interesting way. I say, Jesus, he says the worst thing that he could possibly say to these Pharisees. They had anchored their whole life on the writing of Moses. And Jesus says to them, 
on the judgment day, it's Moses that's going to judge you. They didn't their whole life on Moses, but he says on the judgment day, it's actually Moses that's going to judge you because you didn't understand what Moses was talking about. Moses was telling you about me, and yet you missed it. I believe this. Whatever it is that you're hoping in, on the judgment day, if it's not Jesus, you're going to see that whatever it is, it's justice or love or significance, it all was there. It all found its resolve in Jesus, and it will be that, whatever it is, that will judge you. Can't you see? We have the testimony of John. We have the sign. We have the sign. We have the Scripture itself that bears witness about Jesus. Won't you look to Him? Won't you trust Him? Won't you give your life to Him? Won't you follow Him? You know, the story ends in this very strange way. After Jesus says that, He says, look, if you won't listen to Moses, (laughs) are you really going to listen to me? And I just think this is a decision point for us. Here it is, Easter Sunday. The Word of God has spoken to us. Are you going to listen? And some of you may walk away saying, well, I'm waiting for something else. I need God to show me Himself in some other way. You know, the, the end of this passage reminds me of another story Jesus told, and that's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember that story? Rich man, Lazarus, they both die. Lazarus goes to heaven. The rich man goes to hell, and he realizes what's happened. And he says to Abraham in heaven, he says, Abraham, please send Lazarus back to my brothers. Send him back to warn my brothers. And you know what Abraham says to them? He said, they had Moses. They had the prophets. If they won't listen to them, they won't listen even if someone comes back to the dead and speaks to them. Father, please, in this moment, in your grace, in your spirit to us. Open blind hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Help us to see, Jesus, that everything finds its yes and amen and resolve in Jesus. I pray, Father, that even right now, we would be convicted of this, that we would repent of our sin, that we would trust in Jesus, that we would look to him, that we would look to the hope of his resurrection, that in him we can overcome death, that in him we can overcome all things, that everything finds its resolve in Jesus. Turn our hearts now, Lord. Turn our hearts to Christ. And I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, turning your heart to Jesus is not something that you just do once. It's something that we do. That's what Christians do. Martin Luther famously said, the Christian life is a life of repentance. <laughs> and what he meant by that is we're always, we're always being, our sight is always being pulled away toward other and lesser things. And the Christian life is one who sees that, who repents and turns toward Jesus, who sees that, who repents and turns toward Jesus. And so I just want to invite you, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the millionth time, <laughs> to turn your heart to Jesus, to take your eyes off whatever it is that's capturing your heart to repent of that and to look to Jesus in faith. And as a sign of that faith, as a sign of that faith today, I just want to invite you to stand and let's sing and let's worship this Lord. It all finds its yes 
and it is resolve in Jesus, and he is worthy of our praise. Let's sing to him now as we respond.